We're talking today about a door that needs to be open in your life. It's the door to your heart. You know, God wants to put things in your life. Last week, I read my favorite Bible verse, God has a plan for your life, hope and, and blessing and a future. He wants to pour good things on you. See, you're in a world that's full of questions and, and, and struggles and, and mountains in your way, and you need some help to get through them. Can I get an amen on that? So, so who's that help? That helps God. God pours it in on you. He likes to give it to you, uh, and that comes in through your heart. The problem is there are so many things that shut the door of our heart to God. So many things. And there's one thing that opens it, and it is worship. Everybody say worship. Worship opens the door to your heart. And, and you know what? Almost everything else you encounter between now and next Sunday tries to close it off. You know, like your boss who's not treating you fairly and it frustrates you. Or some challenge at work that you don't know how to do and it just kind of scares you. Or maybe a lie. Somebody lied to you. And that just closes you off. Or maybe a lie you told. And it just kind of makes you feel guilty or, or so many other things that, that, that serve to close off your heart to the wonderful things God wants to do. And the Bible actually says you end up with a closed or a hardened heart. Your heart is hard like a, like a piece of metal. And God wants to pour things into you, but it, it rolls off the top. And, and it's, it's worship that opens up your heart. Now, this all begins with the reality that your walk with Christ is not about just Giving, giving up your sins and straightening up your lifestyle and just holding on and hoping you can do that until Jesus returns or until you die. See, that's what a lot of people think their Christian faith is. Some of you grew up in that church where it's all about, man, you know, coming to, to grips with the fact that you're miserable and terrible and you're a sinner and you're ashamed of all your sins and you come to the front and you pray and they, you know, your sins get forgiven and then for the rest of your life you try to quit doing those sins, Right? I mean, some of you grew up in that church where, you know, the preacher literally was saying, you know, we don't, co we don't, we don't smoke nor drink nor chew, and we don't run with women that do. <laughs> like, that's, if that's the church you grew up in, I'm telling you, that is religion, and it's not relationship. What God wants out of you is a communion between God and man. God wants you to build and grow and nurture, be nurtured into a, a relationship with him, and, and that comes through worship. And it opens the door to your heart when you worship. And it takes all that stuff that's been holding you back and removes it. Now, Jesus said this about doors in Revelation 3 and 20. He said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and dine with him and he with me. He's like, I am right here. I'm at your door. I want to come in. I'm knocking at the door. You need to open the door. What's going to open the door? Say it one more time. Worship. God says, I'm here. I want to open this door, and I want to come in. I want to hang with you. I want to chill. I want you and me. We want to do our thing, you know. I want us to be together. I want to stand at the door. See, you want Jesus with you because Jesus is super chill. Do you have friends that freak out and, and, and get all worried? Do you have, like, people, ah, all the time? Jesus is like, chill, you know. I got this. I'm going to come in. We're going to chill. We're going to sit. We're going to hang. It's going to be okay. Remember when Jesus is on a boat and a hurricane comes up? You know what Jesus is doing? Chilling. Sleeping. He's taking a nap. It's like, ah, Jesus. He woke up and he's like, hey, waves, wind, chill. And it all cooled down, right? That's who you want on your boat. Can I get an amen? 
So you want in your living room. Things are freaking out. You want Jesus in the room. Things are going wrong at work. You want Jesus at work with you. You're driving down the road. People are getting you frustrated. You want Jesus in the car with you. You know, there's an accident happening. You want Jesus in the car. He says, I'm standing at the door. I'm knocking. I want to come in. Worship is what lets him in. I want to give you my definition of worship. It's a two-word definition. Write this down if you're taking notes. It's in your worship guide right there. Notes are there. Worship is love blank. I'm not going to tell you the second half yet. It's two words. I want to to talk about love first. Worship is love and then something else. So it begins with loving God. Jesus was asked, what's the most important uh, command? The, The Bible's full of commandments. Tell me what the number one most important commandment is. And Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. It's as if he was saying, listen, if you'll love him, you'll open the door to all the other things he wants to do in your life. Why does Jesus want you to love him? Why does he say the most important thing to do is love? Is it because he's lonely and he needs somebody to love him? No. It's because he knows that loving God is the key that opens the door to all the blessings God wants to pour out on you. And so early in the Old Testament, God establishes how important it is to love God. In Deuteronomy 11 and 1, he says, love the Lord your God and keep his commandments, decrees, laws, and and his commands always. If you faithfully obey the commands, what commands? To love the Lord your God, to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. If you carefully observe these commands that I'm giving you to follow, what commands? to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him and hold fast. That means to to stay close to him. The, the, The reason God gives us these commands is because loving God is the beginning of worship. You can't worship a God you don't love. It starts with love. And you'll notice here in Deuteronomy that God closely ties love with obeying and serving God. He says, you got to keep the requirements. You got to faithfully obey the commands. You got to serve him with all of your heart. But listen, you can't serve God until you love God. You can't just pick this up as a list of do's and don'ts, cans and can'ts, and think, think that you're a worshiper, that you're a follower of Jesus because you stopped doing these things and you started doing those things. That's not what worship is. And you can't do that out of obligation. It has to be out of love. Worship doesn't begin with raised hands and songs that you sing or offerings that you give or serving in the way that many of you serve uh, the Lord. That's not where it begins. It begins with loving God. You ever, you ever look at someone else, someone else's walk with God, maybe in this church, and you think to yourself, man, I wish I loved God like they do. It just seems like they love God so much more than I do. But see, you can't love God until you know God. That's very important. In fact, you can't love anybody until you know that person. There's a pastor who pastors uh, in, in, uh, in, in North Alabama, went to this church years ago, came to me one day, told me he was in love with this woman. He worked across the, uh, he, he worked across the um, plant. They were in a plant and he could see her and she spoke a different language. She didn't even speak English. He says, I'm in love with her, and she's the one I'm supposed to marry. I said, you are not in love with her. You are in lust with her. You can't even have a conversation with her yet, y'all. Now, I know I'm messing up some of y'all's favorite love songs, (laughs) some of the favorite movies that y'all like, you know. Our eyes met across the crowd. Yeah, you weren't in love. You're in heat. (laughs) Just going to tell you what it was. Wasn't in love, right? Because you can't love somebody until you know somebody. Come on, somebody say amen. 
You have to, you have to know that. It's the same with God. You've got to get to know him. Now, when you come to God, you start with a hardened heart, and God gives you a new heart, a heart that is capable of loving, you, loving God. Deuteronomy 30 and 6 says, the Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you could love him with all your heart and all your soul and live. Well, what does it mean to circumcise your heart? You guys know what it means to be circumcised. We have kids in the room. We won't explain that right now. You're welcome. But it's a biological reality that that part of your body makes babies, okay? And when God told Adam and Eve, here's my command to you, be fruitful and multiply, it just made a whole lot of sense that God would require men to say, you know what, God, in, in the area of flesh, all right, I'm going to cut off the flesh so that my heart can be right with you. That's what the whole thing about circumcision is. In, in, in a nutshell, to explain why that whole thing is such a big deal to the Jews is because at the very beginning they were saying, you know what, and, and, and you, you, you want to walk up to a man who's never heard of that before? You know, that somebody said to me, when Moses first said that to the first person, they must have meant, he said, no, you meant your skin. Okay, that, that whole thing was saying, okay, God, we're going to remove the flesh so that we can be spirit people, not flesh people. We're not going to say, you can't survive, can't have children in the ancient world. You, 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 the whole, a whole race, a whole generation. And, and what they were saying is, God, we're, we're going to cut away the flesh so that we can be spirit people. And then God says, you know what, instead of doing something external like circumcision, do something internal like circumcision of the heart. Why don't you cut away the flesh that's in your heart? When you love, what is the flesh? The flesh is, is a symbol of, of sin. When you're in love with something God's not in love with. The, see, the more you get to know God, the more you understand what God loves. And what you'll find is that you have idols in your heart, things that you love that God hates, things that you're chasing after that God wants you to go away from. And God says, you know what I want to do? I want to circumcise your heart. Not your flesh. I want to circumcise your heart. I want to take the things that are fleshly about your heart, and I want you to, sh I want you to start loving those things. And so it becomes a process. And, and even though God gives you a new heart, there's still many things that are not right about your heart, but he promises to help you change all of that. In Ezekiel 1 and, or 11 and 19, he says, I'll give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. Time out. I'm going to read the second half of that in just a minute. An undivided heart. So, so what God is saying is, you love me, but you love some other things too, right? Can you say amen if you love God, but you probably love some things you shouldn't love? Let me hear an, an honest amen, right? And God says you have a divided heart. So you do love God, but you love other things too. And so they begin to compete with your love for God. And they begin to undermine your walk with God. And it's going to keep you from knowing him, right? You can't spend time with God. You can't know God if you're embracing things that God doesn't want you to have. And so he says back on verse 19, I'll give them an undivided heart, put a new spirit in them, and I'll remove from them that heart of stone because it can't be changed. It's so hard. It's like, you know, it's like bullets bouncing off Superman's chest. It's just not going to change at all. It's that stony heart, and I'm going to give them a heart of flesh. Now, this is exactly what God does to begin the process of you falling in love with him. Now, that's a process. It's happening. You're spending more time with God. You're, you're, love, you're learning to love God. Your love is growing with God. And still, you might look at another person, you say, that person loves God a lot more than I do. Why is that? 
Why does that person seem to love God more? Well, you know what? There's some spiritual giants in this church. I'm not going to lie to you. They can be intimidating if you measure your walk with God up next to theirs, which is never a good idea. But you look at that person, you go, man, you know what? They've been serving God a long time, maybe a lot longer. Maybe you just started serving God. Maybe, you know, they've been going uh, with God and, and, and in the direction of God and away from the direction of their flesh a lot longer. And so let me tell you why sometimes it seems like somebody loves God more than you do. Two things. I'm, I put these in your notes so you could write them down and remember them. First of all, love grows. You need to know that about love. Love grows. I'll explain it like this. Raise your hand if you are a parent. You ever had a child? Raise your hand if you're a parent. All right. When you had that child, the very first day you held that child in your hands, here's what I know. You had a measure of love for that child that you never knew was possible in your life. Can I hear an amen to that? It just, like, you just couldn't believe. Now, today, do you love that child less, the same, or more? You love them more, right? You might not like them right now. Let's just... But you know, you, you love them more because love grows. And when you spend time with each other, your love grows. And when, when, when you get to know each other more, your love grows. You've seen that in your own relationships with, with your spouse. Love grows. You have to communicate for your love to grow. So maybe you're new in the Lord. And so your love is going to grow. You're going to start, and you love some other things besides God, right? Okay. You love Netflix. Okay. You might love alcohol a little bit more than you ought to. You might love looking at things that God doesn't want your eyes to be on, ladies and gentlemen, right? There's some other things you love. The more time you spend with God, the more love you'll have for him and less love you'll have for those other things. The more time you spend with those other things, the less love you'll have for God and the more love you'll have for those other things. Does that make sense? What I want to do is love him more. I want to communicate with him. I want to talk with him. And that door is open through what? One thing, worship. That's what opens the door for me to communicate with God. I want to spend time with God. So love grows. Here's the second thing about love you need to know is love leaks. It does. It leaks out. Some of you have experienced this in your marriage. When you don't invest time in that relationship, when you don't communicate, love leaks out. That's why, by the way, we're going to have a number of marriage small groups. I'm really excited about that. A lot of you need to get in marriage groups. It will bless your marriage. It'll help you so much. There's so much good curriculum that we have available to help you lead a marriage group. By the way, you don't lead a marriage group because you have a perfect marriage. You don't lead any group because you're perfect in that area of life. Uh, seven years ago, six and a half years ago, when Leslie and I, when we adopted our son, Bryant, we adopted him in the summer, led a small group on adoption about two months later in the fall. It is not because we figured it out in two months to tell everybody else. It was because in two months we figured out, oh God, I hope somebody knows what we're doing because we don't. <laughs> everybody come that's ever adopted and tell us what we're needing to do right. Okay. That, that, sometimes that's what a group is for. You just get connected with people. You learn together. You grow. The Bible says like iron sharpens iron. One believer sharpens the other believer. And so don't, don't sit back and go, I can't be a leader of anything. I don't know what I'm doing. Sometimes that's why you need to lead. <laughs> Maybe somebody will show up who does, right? So you know what? Love grows the more you spend time together the more you communicate with each other. And the less you do that, the more it begins to leak. Let me tell you why else love can leak. Your love for God can leak out because of idols in your life. An idol is something that you love that God hates. An idol is something that you value so much that you end up valuing it over God. You're making a choice for this over God. You know this is wrong. You choose it anyways. What is the standard of right and wrong? It's God. 
So you've chosen God. You've chosen this over God. That's what an idol is. And an idol is like the Bible says Satan shoots fiery darts at us. He uses idols to do that. And it'll knock a hole in your heart and the love you have for God begins to leak out. When you're chasing things God hates, when you're going after something God doesn't want you to go after, idols keep other things as a priority in your life and it keeps the door to your heart shut. Keeps you out of God's presence. Today you're in this room and man, it's such a tangible feeling. It's such a supernatural thing. And it starts to beat down those idols that the enemies tried to set up in your life. Some people love their anger more than they love God. They wouldn't say it out loud. They don't even think they do, but they'll just let go what God says to do and just indulge their emotion and their anger. And anger has become an idol in their heart. It's, it's easy to see things like alcohol and pornography, but there's so many other kind of idols that we can set up in our life. Worship cleanses you from all that junk in your life. Man, to just get in this room and talk to God and be among other people. It's like, it's like the whole tide rises and you rise on the shoulders of the person on your left and on your right and you go closer to God and, and you become addicted to that. <laughs> you get to where once a week's not enough for you, man. You're here tomorrow morning for 21 days of prayer at 6 a.m. You're logging on at night if you can't be there. You're, jo you're joining in worship. You're, you're turning your radio stations, you know, from country music. I mean, how many dogs can die? How many girlfriends can leave you? Okay, at some point, why, let's listen to something else, right? You're flipping over to worship music, and your commute in the morning is a worship moment. Your commute at home is a worship moment in the evening. You begin to love him because you're plugging the holes, right, that idols have formed in your life. And the more you spend time with him, the more you uh, get to know him, the more you're going to love him. That's why you don't need to miss church ever ever. You need to be at church every single time, all the time. You can't be there, get online and worship online. You need to let your worship moment not be even confined to a Sunday experience. You need to be with God as often as you can. Everybody say, worship is love. You can't worship if you don't love God. You can sing songs. You can donate money. You can come in here and, and, and dress all good. You can read all the do's and don'ts and try to make sure you get them all right. But it's not worship until you love and here's the second half of that definition. Worship is love expressed. Write that down, love expressed. Just like if you don't love, it's not worship, okay? Also, if you don't express your love, it's not worship. Every time you see worship in Scripture, it's always an expression of worship. There's an outward expression of something inward going on in your life. You know you love God, so you raise your hands and you embrace Him. You know God's been good to you, so you sing those kind of songs. You know God's the giver of every good thing, so you generously give. You know God helped you up and used somebody to help you up, and so you serve somebody who's in a ditch and you pull them out, sometimes physically, sometimes spiritually. You worship God through what you do, and that's an expression of the love that you have inside. Now, you, some people say, well, I just, I'm not an expressive person. I just don't express my love. Let me tell you, that is a recipe for the destruction of your marriage. If you don't express love, your marriage will not make it. Now, you might be roommates and you might stay together, but it will not be the marriage God intended if you don't express your love. If you're a parent and you don't express your love to your children, you are damaging your children. You're harming your children, okay? If you're a father especially, it doesn't come easy for us, 
we're gruff and we're tough and you know we like to show you that we love you by letting you stay living in the house and eat our food but if you don't go beyond that and express your love to your children they'll begin to think there's something wrong with them and it's their fault that you don't love them they'll think wrongly that you don't love them then they'll think wrongly further that it's their fault that you don't love them all that is solved when you express your love worship is love expressed you do the same thing with God you express your love to God. If you grew up in a family that didn't express their love, it's a dysfunctional family. You don't need to pattern your family after where you came from. There may be wonderful people in that family that gave you a lot of good things. That just wasn't one of them. Okay? On the count of three, everybody say amen. One, two, three. I just need a little encouragement because I got mean there for a little while. But it's true. Worship is love expressed. So let's go to the first place worship is mentioned in Scripture. It's in Genesis chapter 4. Adam and Eve, the first family, had sons, Cain and Abel. Cain killed his brother, Abel. And out of the seed of woman is going to come the son of God, Jesus. And so God didn't want his son to come from the lineage of the murderer, Cain. Which is kind of funny because he came from a lot of other murderers, but just not Cain. So there's a new son born. His name was Seth. And out of Seth's lineage... Jesus was born, and out of Seth's lineage, worship is instituted. Watch this. Uh, it's in Genesis 4, 25. And I'm going to get distracted. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I'm going to chase a rabbit right here because I can't overlook it. Verse 25, and Adam knew his wife again. And she bore a son and named him Seth. For God had appointed another seed for me instead of Abel, whom Cain killed. I'll read the rest of that later. Adam knew his wife. Everybody say, Adam knew his wife. He knew his wife, and she bore him a son. Okay, so you, you, you understand, you don't have to be a Bible scholar to understand what God means when it says he knew his wife because she bore him a son, right? I don't have to paint you a picture, right? He knew his wife. See, you can't love someone that you don't know. Did you know that? You can't love somebody until you know them. And see, our culture is running like an engine with the throttle stuck on wide open with no brakes on it, away from love into a filthy substitute for love called lust. And people are trading intimate relational knowledge, real intimacy, for something cheap and counterfeit. The Bible says Adam knew his wife. It didn't say Adam hooked up with his wife. They hooked up. She got knocked up. Y'all look all holy like you ain't heard that on Netflix this morning before you came to church. I don't do that. If you're looking for the preacher that's fake, you came to the wrong place. I don't do fake, okay? This is our culture. This is the culture we live in. This is why young people today don't think anything about having sex on a date or before marriage because our culture has degraded to a subhuman form what God created to be this beautiful, intimate knowledge, intimate relational knowledge Adam knew his wife. But you hooked up. 
you traded a diamond for a piece of dirt. I don't mean to hurt your feelings. I thank God that he forgives us for that. I thank God that we can start fresh. Young people, I believe in a thing called secondary virginity. If you fail God in that area, you just start over. You're clean and you're fresh. But can I just preach while I'm here on this verse? Can I just preach? Is that all right? Three people back here want me to preach on this. The rest of y'all are going to decide to stay. See, this is why you don't have sex outside of marriage. It's not because God wants to take something from you. God's over here working out the most beautiful gift for you. And you're over here making your own homemade version of it that is a piece of junk. And God's going, no, no, don't do that. This. See, we misunderstand. We, we think that, that this, this, this book's full of do's and don'ts, and man, I'm about to have fun. And God took it away from me. No, no, you're about to make a mess. God was making a masterpiece. Don't choose your mess over his masterpiece. It's like this, you know, we're on a 21-day fast. My family is into week eight, or day, it's felt like week eight. Day eight. And some, we're, getting, we're getting hangry, you know what I'm saying? It's getting rough around there sometimes. And I, I, it's a, I shouldn't even bring this place up, but I don't know a better way to illustrate my point. Our favorite place to go eat. You ever been to a Brazilian steakhouse? See, that's the way God intended meat to be consumed right there. That's how I know that God's, you know, you know, not a vegetarian because he wouldn't have created Texas Day Brazil if he was, y'all. Man, they make it. You, you get a little, your little green circle, and they tell me it's red on the other side. If you don't want any food, you turn it over. I've never seen the red side. They just keep bringing it, keep bringing it, keep bringing it. It's a terrible thing to talk about right now. And I usually need assistance to get up and get out if it's over. By the way, don't, if you are on 21-day fast, don't end your fast there. I can tell you why, but it'd be gruesome, and I don't want to graphic. But hooking up, instead of knowing someone intimately, knowing your spouse intimately, let me make that very clear. God's plan is that you intimately know your spouse after you're married. Man's plan is you hook up casually whenever you want. That's like you're on your way to Texas Day, Brazil, and instead you eat two bologna sandwiches on your way down there. That's the difference in hooking up and being intimate with the person God chose for you. Is that okay? Can I get an amen to that truth right there? And God says, Adam knew Eve, and he created a son named Seth. And out of that beautiful union, the beginning of worship happened. Let's read the second half of that verse. And as for Seth, to him also was born a son, and they named him Enosh. And then, everybody say then. Right then, men began to call on the name of the Lord. That's when worship began. Prior to that, every time God's talking to man, it's God saying something, man's responding. There's, there's never a moment before that where man initiates a conversation or a worship moment with God. Never. It's always, Adam, how did you know about that? Well, I, I messed up. Adam, where were you? Well, I was hiding because I, I, you know, I was naked. Adam, who told you you were naked? Oh, it, it was religion. It, it, it modeled our version of, of religion today. I'm going to come on, make sure I don't do anything wrong, make sure God's not mad at me. But in this moment, man begins to love God. The message says that's when men and women began praying and worshiping. The 
the NLT says, at that time, people first began to worship the Lord by name. See, worship is you initiating a conversation with God. And I hope you, some of you have been here two Sundays in the year, in the decade of the 20s. Okay, and in the year 2020, you got 50 more to go. I want you to be here every week, and I don't want you to come here one time thinking, man, I hope God didn't tell the preacher what I did this week, and he preaches on that and looks at me. Not one time do I want you to think that. Every time you come, I want you to be thinking, man, I'm going to pull the knob, the door off the hinges and rip it open and worship God. I'm going to initiate. I'm not going to wait till they sing my song that I love. I'm not going to wait until that you know I get warm fuzzies. I'm going to walk through the door with the door to my heart kicked off the hinges and I'm going to say, "God, I'm here to meet with you." Because God didn't send his son Jesus to die on a cross so that you could have a, 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 a 2000-page list of do's and don'ts and that you could have a religion where if you did enough, you could look over your shoulder and judge the guy by Behind you who didn't do as much as you. God didn't die for that. He died so that there would be an open relationship between you and him every moment of every day. Not just on Sunday, by the way, but that you would walk with him, that you would have an open door to your heart through a worship relationship. Worship from an old uh, Anglo-English word, worthship, worthship. It's what is worth the most in your life. It's saying, God, you're worth more to me than all these other things. Worship is you initiating a conversation with God whereby you say, God, you and me, we're together. God, I don't want to take another step without you. God, I don't want to make that decision without you. I don't want to buy that car unless I know that's the car you want me to buy. God, I don't want to date that girl unless I know that's the girl. I don't want to, and I don't want to move this relationship and get me. I don't want to go to that college. God, I want to know. That, do you know God knows every decision you need to make? He knows every turn along the journey. He knows what's around the corner. You ever been driving at night? It's dark. It's raining. You can't see what God knows what's around the corner. Worship opens the door and lets him in. So today, I want you to do that. I want you to experience it. Some of us, I mean, you already did, okay? You came through this door, you got it right. But I want us to take a minute at the end of the service today to just start over with a worship moment. And I want you to try your hardest to forget who's here with you and, and forget what you came worried about and thinking about and don't even think about those things because the Bible says God knows what you need before you even ask. There's nothing you could tell him in this next worship moment that he doesn't already know. He knows what you need. He knows that you want it. And if you've ever prayed for it before, those prayers are still echoing through heaven. What you really need to do is not give him another iteration of your prayer list, but it's just tell him how much you love him. Spend time with God. Take a moment and just embrace him. Wait on a transfer from heaven, you know? In worship, God will say something to you at the, uh, I don't know, about third or fourth day of 21 days of prayer. I was standing right there when God started saying something. I say started because I'm still marinating on what he was saying to me. And I love that. I can't wait for that. You know, a year ago, God told me to start taking stupid pills. Some of y'all thought I was stupid enough. God didn't think so. Take more pills. And out of that came a mission for the, a three-year mission for this church. God starts talking to you, he'll lay out stuff in front of you. I, I, I can't wait to see what that little seed, he was talking to me about David and Goliath standing right here 
on about Wednesday. And I'm just going to nurture that throughout the 21 days of prayer, and I'm going to figure out what he's saying to me. You need, you need to hear him say something to you. Let him start it right here, right now. 